ask this morning that you would stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, and then I'll allow you to be seated the remainder of the service. Beginning in verse 17 of Isaiah, in the 51st chapter, the Word of God says this, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you have drunk, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of His fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction and famine and sword. By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord and your God who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into your hand, into the hand of those who afflict you who have said to you, lie down, that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. Look with me again at verse 20. Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege to meet here in your house. God, we're thankful for the opportunity and the privilege to worship you and to do so freely. And God, you are most certainly worthy of our worship. We ask this morning, God, that you would move in our midst and, Lord, that you would save the lost. God, that you would encourage the saints. I pray now that you would anoint me, God, to preach, not in man's wisdom, but, Lord, in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God, and, Lord, that Your Word this morning would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray that You would set us free this morning if we have been caught up in a net. Lord, I pray this morning that You'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand. And, God, that there would be none who leave here this morning without a clear understanding of what Your Word is speaking to us. Bring us to a place, God, this morning of decision. Staying in the net or getting out. Bring us this morning to a place of decision, Lord, of serving You or continuing down our own ways. God, I ask again that You would simply move in Your power. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to preach to you about what I think is an interesting thought about the antelope in a net. Before we do, I want to just lay some groundwork for those of you that may not be familiar uh, with the Old Testament and, and with Isaiah. We step into Scripture this morning... At a time when through the prophet Isaiah, God is rebuking His people. And His people have refused time after time 
after time again to heed the voice of God. God has told them clearly His commandments through the law. God has sent His prophets to, uh, to, to, to proclaim the Word of God. And time and time again, God's people have turned a deaf ear to their God. They have gone their own ways. They have refused to remove the false idols from amongst them. They have refused to live the life that God has commanded of them to live. And consequently, punishment has come. In our text, something that's very interesting is that their punishment is called the fury of God. And yet, when God says that He will relent of the punishment, He tells them that He will turn it back on the enemies that oppress them. That tells us this, that our God has the ability to say, as you will to us, and let our enemies come upon us. It's not necessarily God that did the attacking. It's not necessarily God, if you will, that did these things to Israel and caused them to become like an antelope in a net. But when God takes off His staying hand, and when God takes off His divine power over His people and that protecting hand and says, fine, if you won't do it my way, do it your way, when He chooses to withdraw that hand and allows the enemies to come upon us, it is fair to call it the fury of God. You see, the worst thing God can do to you is leave you to yourself. The worst thing God can do to a people is withdraw and say, have your way. You know, ultimately, this is what He does to those who have rejected Him all of their lives and yet die in that state and find themselves face to face with their Maker. If we're not willing to say, God, Your will be done, here on earth, then when we stand face to face with Him, God says, Your will be done in all of eternity. You see, at the day of reckoning, pretty much all that God does is solidify the decision you've already made. If you've decided that He is your God and you've given your life to Him and you've turned to Him and you've served Him, God says, come on in. But if you have rejected Him all of your life and, you have been, and, you, and you've been rebellious to Him and you have never made Him your Lord, on that judgment day, the fury of God simply says, your will be done. And the fury of God has been poured out on His people here as He has withdrawn His protective hand, and they have been overtaken by their enemies. The second thing I want to bring to you this morning, before we really deal with our text, is the idea that God uses analogies to teach His things. He says to the people, you are like an antelope in a net. God uses vast ways to try to paint the picture for us so that we can understand in our own way of thinking, in our own languages, in our, in our own way of understanding. God goes to, to no small extent to, to give us pictures that would explain where we're at. He didn't say they were an antelope in a net. He said they were like an antelope. 
God deals with people being like eagles. He deals with, with the idea of us being a ship tossed to and fro in a storm. My question this morning is, what can we learn from the analogy? Why did God, when talking about His people, use the analogy like an antelope in a net? First of all, let's deal with the idea of the net. God says you are like something that has been caught up in a net. A net implies, first of all, that something has been caught unaware. Nobody walks into the middle of a trap knowing that the moment they walk into the trap, the thing's going to close around them and they're going to be trapped up in a net. This is important that we learn as God's people that if we're not careful to heed the voice of God and trust God to know that God knows best, God knows what He's saying. God knows what He's doing. God sees the, be- the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And when God says, Thou shalt not, there's a reason that God says, Thou shalt not. He knows what's ahead. But when we refuse to listen to God, we, just like these people in our text, somehow, someway, we think that we can see what is ahead. But you need to know, my friends, There's probably never been a person caught up in a net, caught up in a trap, that walked into that thing knowing doom would be therein. It happens unaware. It happens when you're not expecting it. It happens when you have thought that everything is okay and everything is safe and everything is secure. You know, this was the problem with Israel. God warned them of how dangerous it was to intermingle with the idols and with the the false worshippers of Baal and and of their gods. And God warned them of the need to drive those things out from among them and to be a people who were set apart and who were holy and who were devoted to the God of heaven and earth and devoted to Him only. God had warned them of these things. But many of them, just like you and I, decided they would creep in and look around and see if it's really as bad as what God said. This place doesn't seem so scary. These people don't seem so bad. wonder why God's so concerned about this. wonder why God's so concerned about holiness. I wonder why God's so concerned about us being separated. And, and, and the enemy that, that would, would come in as he always does and at first speak peaceably to them. All along laying a net that one day would trap them up. It also implies, obviously, if a net was there, that the trap had been laid. Here's what that means. Whether you believe it or not, the devil wants to set a trap for your feet. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's true. His desire is to catch you up and to get you bound up and to get you tied up so that you'll live your entire life bound like an antelope on the streets. If you're not saved here this morning, His desire is to get you so tied up 
that you never find salvation. But this morning, you might be a child of God, just like the people in our text. And you might know Him by name. And you may have surrendered to Him at some stage in your life. But child of God, listen to this preacher this morning. When I tell you that after we're saved, we've got to follow Him with the same faith we came to Him. And if we don't follow Him, and if we turn a deaf ear to our God, the enemy will try to place us in a trap that will render us useless for the cause of Christ. You might be a child of God still yet. You might be some a believer, but you could be trapped up, tied up, and doing nothing for the cause of Christ. You see, God did not save us to sit. He saved us to serve. We are to be the light of the world. The salt of the earth. And while Satan might not be able to rip your salvation away from you, if he can lead you into a net and trap you up and render you powerless, laying there on the streets so that all the people can walk by and mock and say, Where is your God now, O Israel? Where is your strength now, O Israel? Where is your faith now, people of God? If he can do that, in essence, he's won part of the battle here on earth. Because it's our job to be proclaiming him. It's our job not to be bound up, not to be tied up, not to be caught up in a net. The trap was laid. This is important to us. This is important to us because as Christians, we need to learn and we need to get it deep in our spirits. We are in a battle. There's no time to let up. And and let me try to make... Clarify what I'm talking about this morning. There is a need to be out doing stuff, but I'm talking more about the internal battle in the inner man. That's what I'm talking to you about this morning. There's a battle, and it never ceases. Paul said that uh, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand the wiles or the schemes of the devil. He has a plan. A crafty plan. A crafty scheme. And believe me, friends, He knows you better than I do. He knows you. He knows where you're weak and where you're strong. And He'll find you where you're weak. And He'll push you in that place. And He'll push you in that place. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. And thank God at the end of my message, we're going to see there's a way out. But it's important we deal with the reality for a moment that we are in a battle with someone that wants to lay a trap at your feet. That wants to get you caught up. That wants to render you powerless. There was a trap there. There was a net. It was intentionally laid. Notice also, it's interesting, in our text, they lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. When I deal with the word antelope in a moment, we'll find out that there's really no telling what type of animal this is, but it deals with the idea of a wild male bull. That's why if you're reading the King James Version this morning, yours says a wild bull in a net. We'll deal with that in a moment. But I want to I show you something. This is a wild animal meant to live in the wild as a symbol of power. And where is it at? It is in the middle of the streets tied up in a net. Drawn into a place it never should have been. 
You know, there are some places you just shouldn't go. That's the bottom line. The Word of God says, New Testament, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or Satan with Christ? There are some places you shouldn't go. It is when we are drawn away by our own lusts that we find ourselves tempted. And I'm not going to tell you where you should and where you shouldn't go this morning, but I will tell you this. You know. You know where you're weak. You know where you're tempted. You know when you find all of a sudden that strength kind of starts to shed away and you find yourself teeter-tottering and you're not as spiritually strong as you should be and your thoughts aren't on godly things. You know where that place is for you. And if we don't learn to stand strong on the authority of the Word of God, that we are a people set apart, that we should have no fellowship with darkness, that we should not draw ourselves into places where we are constantly tempted and challenged to compromise our faith. When we do those things, we find ourselves in positions we should never be. You've heard it said a hundred times, but it bears repeating. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. And it will make you stay longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but can I tell you, if you're flirting with sin, quit it. Stop it. There's a net laid for your feet. It's there. Somebody wants to render you powerless. You have got to trust God this morning that I've got to get away from this. You know, Satan, he's, he, he's crafty. He's crafty. He's wiser than us. He knows where we're weak. And he'll lure you in. This is why so many Christians, they, they, they dabble in sin and they dabble in things they shouldn't be dabbling in because he'll let you dabble for a while. He's not just going to crunch down on the, uh, the, the trap the moment you make a mistake. He'll make sure that he lures you deep into the streets, deep away so that in essence, when you cry out for help and when you cry out for, for, for somebody to come and rescue you, you're so far away from anybody being there. You're so far away from making it back home. You don't know where to turn. Some of you have been there. Some of you know what I'm talking about this morning. God says, my people, Israel, they're like this thing caught up in a net. Notice also that in the net, the animal is incapable of getting itself out. There is a time when the thing could have turned around and gone back home. There is a time before the, 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 the net was closed around it that it was still yet free to go back. But in our text, God likens His people to a place when it is too late to get yourself out of there on your own. You need help out. You need help out. The awesome thing about our text is, again, it is an analogy. And there's no doubt these people didn't see themselves that way yet. 
You know, that's why a lot of folks stay caught up, if you will, tied up, can't do anything for God, not make any difference eternally, because they're in denial that they're caught up. And they think, I'll, I'll, I'll think my way out of this. I'll work my way out of this. I'll find a way out. There is no way out when you are caught up in the net. Once that net has been closed in, you need somebody other than you. You need somebody other than you to grab a hold of that net and tear that thing open. And it is our God. And He speaks and says, child, come up out of that place. I also want you to notice this morning, and I'm going to move on past the net. God sees them there. Isn't that amazing? God sees them there. God is so different than us. You know what we do when someone turns their back on us and they refuse to listen and they go their own way? We basically do the same thing. But God, He says... First of all, I'm going to teach you a lesson and, and I'm going to withdraw my staying hand and I'm going, to, I'm going to let you have your own way. But secretly, I'm going to be following you every step of the way and my eyes are on you and I'm watching you and I'm going to make sure that no matter where you get, even if it's caught up in that net, that you know my eyes are on you and I see you and I know your pain and I know where you're at and I know how you got there and I know the way out this morning. He knows where you're at this morning. He loves you. He cares for you. God's response to His people was that I'm going to let you out of the net. I will turn the fury on your captors. This morning you need to know something. God knows where you're at. He knows if you're hurting. He knows if you're confused. He knows where you're at. And I would submit to you that this morning God has intentionally, willfully, purposefully in His divine providence brought you here. To speak to you. It's amazing how God addresses Israel in the state that they're at in a language that so vividly describes them. God has this amazing way of doing this with us. He has this way of just taking His Word and it just like lights up on us. I remember when I got saved, it was like, I was in a church, it was a large church with about 800 people. And it was like God was speaking to me. It was like, I knew there were other people there, but something was happening between me and God and just us. And God has this way of dealing with hearts. God has this way of speaking to us where we are. The question is, will we listen? The question is, are we willing to turn our ear to God and say, God, speak? You know, until you're willing to admit that you're caught up and that you need help, you'll never find help. That's why for 20 years I ran from God as an arrogant fool. So I didn't think I needed help. I had it all under control. I was going to be fine. My life was going to be good. I was going to do my own thing. Friends, that same attitude can creep into the Christian life. It's not until we're honest and we say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. Help. 
and amazing things right on time every time God shows up. You know, sometimes it's the grace of God that leads you to the net. If you're as boneheaded as I was and can be at times, you need a net to stop you up. Do you never slow down enough to really realize where you're at and what's going on in life? And I remember finding myself in a net. I was trapped. I couldn't find no peace. I couldn't find no joy. Everything I'd been trying to do for two or three years to convince myself that I was really something. My tactics were failing. I had lost respect for myself. There seemed no way out. There seemed like I was hopeless. There was no meaning in life. There was no real relationships. There was no purpose to live. I was caught up in a net. And friends, it wasn't until I was there that I was willing to stop and listen to the voice of God call me out and say, son, you're where you're at because you've turned your back on me and you've ran from me for years and the only way out of the mess you're in is if you will acknowledge your sins and repent of them and turn to me. It was His grace that allowed me to get caught up in the net. Sometimes God has to do that to us. Especially those of us that are a little more strong-willed than others. Who think us think ourselves somehow stronger than everyone else or somehow smarter than everyone else. Sometimes God has to bring us to that place where we're caught up. I want to deal now with the idea of what we should be. Notice the problem was that this animal was in the net. But what was the animal meant to be? God uses the term here, that is translated antelope, it is only found in the Bible two times. That's it, just two times, and here's one of them. And there's no way to know what it really means. I spent a lot of studying on this word because I'm careful not to draw analogies that that are not really biblically based. And what I found out about this one word is this. It's possible the animal in in context is actually extinct and we don't have them around anymore. But there is no question it deals with, number one, a horned animal, which makes it a male animal. And it also has roots to the, the, the term bull, like a long horned bull. But the word bull is a word that is used for sacrifices. It's more of a tamed animal. It's something that man uh, has tamed and raises and slaughters. The word in this context deals with something that is wild. Something that is not controlled by man. Therefore, here's what we know for certain about this word. It deals with a very large animal with horns that is a male. That's why they came up with the term antelope. They couldn't think of anything else. And that's why the King James uses the word wild bull. But here's, what we, here's what's significant about the text. Why does God liken them to a wild male bull or antelope? First of all, if it's wild... If it was meant to be wild, 
That tells us it's not controlled by the rest of the world. And it is not bound up in the net. Child of God, you need to know something this morning. God's desire is not for you to be bound up. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free to serve Him, free to love Him, free to live a life for Him. God wants you to be free, not bound up. If you're not saved here this morning, you need to know you're naturally bound up. No matter how much you want to serve God, no matter how much you love Him or desire to love Him, no matter how much you want to please Him, until He sets you free and until He opens up the net and until He forgives you of your sins and washes you white as snow, you're bound up. I was bound up. You were bound up. If you were saved, if you're saved here this morning, there was a time in your life you were bound up. And if you're lost, you're bound up. No matter how hard you want to, you can't. Until God sets you free and, and, and the Spirit of God comes in us when we're born again and empowers us to serve Him. You see, but Christians, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in that net. And you're tied up. You're tied up. How do I try to give you some real life analogies? Maybe somebody's done you wrong this morning. And you're bitter. And you're angry. And you haven't forgiven. And you find that no matter how hard you try, you just can't find joy. There's something in you that just, you're constantly negative. You see, until you release the trap of bitterness, which doesn't affect the person you're bitter at, until you're willing to forgive, which forgiveness sets you free, by the way, not just the other person. Until you're willing to do those things, if you stay in that trap of bitterness, if you stay in that trap of unforgiveness, you'll find you're tied up when it comes to living a life that's full of authentic joy and love. God's desire is for you to not be tied up. Secondly, this beast, without any question, is a symbol of power. You know, God wants His people to be powerful. Jesus was the perfect example of humility and meekness. There has never been another and there will never be another that can perfectly model to us humility and meekness than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus was not some weak, powerless man. Quite the opposite. See, humility is not weakness. Being humble does not mean going around being weak all the time. Humility and true humbleness is strength kept in check. That's what it is. Children of God, we need to remember something, and we need to get it back deep in our souls. God desires that we be powerful, because He is powerful and He lives in us. 
We should be a people who stand on His Word, who are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We should be a people who, who our integrity and our joy and our strength and everything we are at our core, it's not controlled by the winds and the waves of the news. It is not controlled by the circumstances of life. But we are a people who are focused on our God, who are focused on our goal, who are standing firm in the principles of Christ. God desires that His people be a powerful people. And I would submit to you we should be the most powerful people on the face of the earth. We're the only people on the face of the earth who have been forgiven and redeemed and have found the one true God. The Christians. And our job is to be a light in darkness. Our job is to speak the truth where there is lies. Our job is to stand up for those that are weak and needy. That's our job. That is the heart of our God. And God is not shaken. I love that song we were singing. Day after day, our God is reigning. He's not shaken. When our world is shaking and when earthquakes are happening all over the place and when there's negative, negative, negative in the news, friends, God is still on His throne. He is not confused. He is not shaken. He knew this would go on. He knows the beginning from the end. And we as His people should learn to fix our eyes on Him and not be shaken and pushed around by the things of this world. But one of the traps is for us to get our eyes on the things of the world instead of on the things of God. You focus on it long enough. You think on the negative long enough. You keep your eyes on the things that are taking place instead of focusing on heaven and on the Word of God. You'll find yourself in the trap of despair. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? There are a lot of traps that are out there to render us powerless. But child of God, God wants you to be a powerful man or woman of God. He wants you. Not just me. Not just the preacher. God wants every one of His children to stand strong in who they are in Christ Jesus and know that He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. You were created by Him and for Him and you will never know your purpose. You will never find your meaning in life outside of the One who created you for Himself. His desire is that we be powerful people. Free, not bound up. And the third thing about this animal is that it is a, not only is it a symbol of strength, but it is a symbol of being either A, unmovable or unstoppable. I couldn't figure out which word best described this beast in my studies, but those were the two words, unmovable or unstoppable, basically the same thing. It comes along with the idea, have you ever seen the rams that ram their horns and, and they're just going to keep ramming each other until the big guy wins? I'm not moving. This is my place. This is my turf. This is where I belong. I'm not moving. You know, I want to be cautious this morning not to portray the false idea that we should just be out there as battering rams because Jesus wasn't that way. We need to learn to spread the truth in love. But at the same time, can I tell you people, something needs to rise up in the children of God. The Spirit of God needs to rise up up in us and we need to remember that if our God is for us, who can be against us? 
We have nothing to fear. How many times does God say, fear not, I am with thee. It's not, fear not, for there are no enemies. It's not, fear not, because you are so strong and powerful. But fear not, because I am with thee. And when our God is with us, there can be none that are against us. We need to not be afraid to stand up for what is truth. In our country, we have lost prayer in our schools. Our morals have basically been thrown out the, 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 the door in most of the public uh, sectors of our society. All based upon the added, basic, added, well, really because we did nothing. That's the main reason. Because we did nothing but sit around and hope somebody else would say something. And the few that are willing to say something often get told, you know, just live a life. Just live the life of love. Isn't God a God of love? I've said this several times here uh, in this church. Love is not lying to people. Love is not pretending that things aren't bad when they are. Love does not say to a person who's dying of cancer, you don't have cancer. That's not love. That's a lie. That's a fairy tale, la-la land. It doesn't exist. Love says, here's the truth. And as hard as the truth may be, you need to know the truth. And then you can be faced with the choice to accept the truth or reject the truth. But I love you too much to let you live the rest of your life and not know the truth. That's love. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. To stand for what is right. And to not sit passively by and just hope that somebody else does it. You ever ask yourself the question, if you don't do it, who else will? I mean, who's going to stand up for what's right? Who's going to stand up for godly principles in our school, in our public system, and 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 and, and just the society in general. God says you're like an antelope in a net. I created you to be free, not bound up by all this. I created you to be powerful. I created you to be unmovable and unstoppable. That through you, that through the body of Christ, I might live in and work through and change and impact this world. And God says again to us this morning, children of mine, get up and rise up and know that I have a purpose for you. Get out of that net and get out and do something for me and stand on the authority of the Word of God that I am with you. And if I am with you, I am for you, then none can be against you. God wants you to be powerful this morning. God wants you to be unmovable, unstoppable. I'm going to close with this thought. Samson is probably the greatest picture in Scripture of a single man that fits our text. God had given Samson supernatural strength. And the Philistines hated Samson for it. 
You know the real reason the Philistines hated Samson? It wasn't because he was so strong. It's because of what he stood for. Had Samson used his strength for purposes he shouldn't have been using them for, granted it would have left him, and it eventually did, the Philistines wouldn't have had such a problem with him. Church, it's not that the world has such a problem with you individually, but it's with the God that we, that we stand for. And Samson, after years of doing his thing, began to be self-confident. He began to think to himself, I know how to do this. I've did this long enough. I've fooled the enemy long enough. Yes, I know that, that, that God's called me to, to holiness. And I know that God's told me to, 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 in His Word to stay away from these Philistines. But there's something inside of Samson arrogantly beginning to stir. And Samson is saying to himself, I can and I will. And I've got the strength and I've got the wisdom to live in both worlds. Because I'm Samson. And I'll be God's man, and I'll fool in the land of the Philistines at the same time. And you know the story. He got caught up with a woman. And the woman began to ask him, Samson, where is the source of your strength? And Samson would say to her, it's this or it's that. And they would try that thing, and his strength was still there. And she continued to say, don't you love me? Don't you love me? Can I tell you this morning, if anybody ever asks you to show your love for them based upon you compromising your convictions for God, you need to cut and run as fast as you can cut and run. That's not love. Satan eventually came, or excuse me, Samson eventually caved. And he said, the source is my long hair. And they cut the long hair off. And they bound him up. And they plucked out his eyes. And they tied him to the grinding wheel. And they made, the Bible says, sport of him. They tied him to the grinding wheel. And they made him push it like an ox. In circles, blinded, as a spectacle for all of the enemies of God to come and mock. What a humiliating situation. And I can't help but think to myself, I want you to listen to me this morning, and I want you to know my heart. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But I can't help but think to myself how much the church looks like this to the world sometimes. We're powerless. We don't live what we say. We act like we love God, but we've got no convictions that show it. And the world points, and it laughs, and it mocks, and it says, where is your God now, Samson? Where is your strength at now? Something happened to Samson. And he came to his senses. 
He said, God, if you'll just get me out of this one last time. I'm willing to die if that's what it takes. And that's what it took for Samson. But God gave him his strength back. And you know the story. If you know the Bible, he pushed the pillars out. And the, all the, the, the building caved in. And destroyed all the enemies of God that were there mocking God's man. This morning, are you tied up? I'll ask our worship team to come. Are you tied up? If you are, you need to know this. God is not making fun of you. God is not mocking you. God is not teasing you. God wants you out of that place. God wants to free you up this morning. But are you living a life that when the world looks at it, it mocks and says, oh, is that the power of God? Is that, is that what God looks like in a life? Or have you allowed God to really set you free? Have you really turned your ear to God and just said, God, I hear you. And yes, I'll go where you want me to go. I will obey you. I will follow you. I will lay down my life serve you. It's in that life where you'll find the strength of God. This morning, maybe you've never ever surrendered to Him. And in the strange way that only God can, He's speaking to you directly this morning. You know it. All I can do is give you the truth, and I promise you I've did the best I know how. But I can't make you respond. And neither will God. God wants you to come on your own free will. God wants you to come because you love Him. This morning, maybe you're a child of God. Hey, listen, we all get caught up in traps. Don't you be embarrassed this morning. Y'all be thankful. God loves you enough, just like He saw them there, that He sees you where you're at. He brought you here this morning because He wants to set you free. Whatever the need is in your life, I'm going to give you a chance to respond in just a moment. Father, we we thank You, Lord. We thank You, God, that You never give up on us. We thank You, Lord, that even though we sometimes find ourselves wrapped up in that net, You are there and You see us. And You are pleading, child, come back up out of that pain and be who I've called You to be. Lord, this morning, move on hearts, God. Right now, as I pray, move on hearts.